Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Mod Path Chat the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Welcome to a special Meet the Expert episode of ModPass Chat. I'm delighted to have Professor Reinhard Butner as our guest today. Professor Butner is a chair of pathology at the University of Cologne in Germany. He's a world leader in the field of lung cancer genomics. His work has impacted the lives of countless patients with pulmonary tumors through his contributions to the advances in targeted therapy. Thank you, Reinhard, for joining me today. It's my pleasure, George. Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, it's always a pleasure uh, to talk to you, and thank you for everything you do for us for the journal, including uh, your own contribution and reviews and uh, and the recent editorial, which I'm sure we're going to touch upon uh, during our conversation today. Uh, but uh, I'm, uh, the editorial keeps reminding me further that there is still a lot of work uh, in lung uh, cancer. Uh, although I we usually use lung cancer as the paradigm for how targeted therapy and precision pathology uh, in general uh, should be practiced. Uh, still, uh, discoveries as uh, are ongoing and, uh, and more precision is needed. So uh, can you like share with us and be uh, uh, free to, uh, to pick uh, the conversation uh, starter uh, uh, on what's, what's happening now in lung adenocarcinoma or non-small cell lung cancer in general? And what's your view on that? Yeah, lung cancer stands as an amazing topic in pathology. If you just look back 10 years from now, it's not long ago that we thought there's only non-small cell lung cancer and small cell lung cancer, and that more or less was it. We believed it's a more or less common entity, a common disease. And now we see it's a basket of many different diseases with clinical, epidemiological, but also therapeutic um, uh, definitions. Um, I've written recently, I was invited, very proud, so um, an editorial on two genomic studies 
um, looking at a very peripheral type of uh, lung cancer um, that is uh, invasive mucinous adenocarcinoma, frequently um, growing at the very periphery, subpleural, uh, multilocular, bilateral. And these um, studies from Memorial Sloan Kettering and also from East Asia, from Taiwan, show by very deep genomic insights that is a clonal disease, although it looks clinically heterogeneous, and also it is a specific genomically defined sub-entity or an entity that has many features in common with enteric adenocarcinomas, like the mutational spectrum in KRAS, uh, in, you know, in the non-mucinous uh, lung adenocarcinomas, we typically mostly have uh, KRAS G12C mutations. In this type, we have the same mutations we typically find in colorectal cancers or pancreatic adenocarcinomas. Um, so it's genomically different, it's clonal, and it's also um, uh, quite different as an entity because of some tumors arise in the background of idiopathic lung fibro fibrosis. So um, that makes it very different and defines a new subtype of uh, lung adenocarcinoma. Very interesting. And uh, I, I believe the, the studies you're referring to is the one that just came in Modern Path by Glenn exactly. et al. And I, I, I believe they're uh, from Seoul, South Korea, rather mm. than Taiwan. Uh, South Korea. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. and, uh, and also the study by uh, one of our editorial uh, lead team member, uh, Natasha uh, Rechtman's group from Memorial. And uh, so what we're, you know, it, it seems like the, uh, the population is 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 different because, like you mentioned, one had the UIP in many patients, and and the other didn't. And and can you comment also on the surprising findings of uh, non-smoking signature or uh, or the relationship to smoking or not? Yeah, there is um, is it's much less associated to smoking signature. We know this from the most frequent type of lung adenocarcinomas and squamous cell carcinoma that they typically have a smoking signature. Specifically in the East Asian uh, study, that was not the case. In the um, in the um, study from uh, from uh, United States from New York. Um, it was more like a mixture. It, uh, there were patients with uh, also smoking signature, and it shows dramatic differences in the um, genetic footprint that is uh, bit, uh, between Asian patients and European Caucasian patients. We know that also from EGFR mutation. Um, we have in Germany, for example, uh, very much like the Western world, we have between 10 to 12% of EG activating EGFR mutations. East Asia has at least 50%. Actually, KRAS mutations are much rarer than in the European patients. Um, so this is another example that there is a, a genomic differences in, in different uh, populations throughout the world. 
And uh, speaking of keras, and uh, so not not all keras are equal, as you alluded to. You know, uh, colon pancreatic versus uh, this uh, entity uh, in the lung. Uh, the mutation and the alteration is different. And and my understanding from what I gather that this impact therapy, that not all treatment, now there is a lot of excitement about inhibitors of, of KRAS finally, you know, cracking that difficult, uh, uh, difficult nut, right? So uh, how is, uh, uh, can you explain a little bit to our audience, uh, what is the difference and and uh, how how is uh, the future gonna gonna resolve these differences in terms of a pan keras inhibitor? Yeah, the the um, uh, RAS story is actually a major uh, a major story of innovation in cancer therapy. It's one of the RAS mutations that lead to uh, the activation of the. MAP kinase uh, signaling axis, the constitutive activation, are amongst the most frequent oncogenic driver mutation in human cancers. And they have been, there have been generations of drug developments trying to target an inactivated a mutated KRAS. Um, and due to toxicity, all of these um, uh, inhibitors like pharmaceutical transferase inhibitors, for example, failed to make it into the clinic. However, uh, recently, uh, a landmark paper from San Francisco, Professor Schokart's lab, uh, showed that the mutation G12C leads to a cysteine residual specifically in the mutated cancer KRAS. And he, um, um, I mean, he's a very, very charismatic uh, speaker. You should listen to a talk to him. And he says, I have the cystine Googles on. So he looks at every oncogene, whether there is a cystine that he could target by an in irreversible cystine binding chemical drug that mm -hmm. destroys specifically the mutated oncogene. And that was very successful. Uh, a small molecule that targets the GTPase fold uh, of KRAS and is also specific for the mutated cysteine has a dual layer of specificity. And that uh, seemed to solve or reduce the problem of toxicity. So it's super specific for the cancer mutation. And these drugs made it into the clinic. And the G12C mutation in the Western, uh, uh, Western lung cancer population is the most frequently mutated oncogene. It's half of all KRAS mutations and about 35 to some studies, 40% of lung adenocarcinomas in the Western world have KRAS mutation. Half of them are, uh, are KRAS G12C. So it's a beautiful target. And lung cancer, again, was the innovative tumor to, to drive a new layer of personalized therapy. These mutations, of course, exist also in other tumors like colon cancer. I know also patients that have been treated with these inhibitors, but it's much uh, less frequent than in lung. That's where the G12D or V is. Yes, is more the enteric types. Yeah. It's also interesting, probably relates to the cell of origin 
Yeah, that different amino acid residues in the mutations um, drive KRAS in a different way or drive it in a different stem cell niche. We don't fully understand it, but when you look at, for example, pancreatic cancer, uh, KRAS G12C is super rare, although 90% of pancreatic adenocarcinomas have a KRAS mutation. It's more like KRAS G12V or G12D or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the niche, the, the location is important, the homing, not uh, in, in deciding which, which mutation. Probably yeah, it shows that uh, molecular pathology is really driving understanding of cell origin in cancer. We understand how to treat cancer. So it's also um, a biomarker for choosing uh, most effective treatments. And it's also something you can use for monitoring diseases, because once you have a a very clonal driver mutation, you can use that to monitor the course of the disease in blood. Excellent. And uh, so, uh, and, and, the future, so so these these drugs would not work on the uh, uh, the ones you mentioned for the cysteine would not work on uh, on tumors of pancreatic uh, or intestinal for that reason, or or there are some more uh, wider effect. Well, the KRAS G12C inhibitors will work only if the mutation leads to a cysteine exchange. If it's a, a valine. It won't work because the chemical attack is not possible. Um, however, there is now new generations of uh, KRAS inhibitors coming in. There are proteins necessary for the exchange of GDP to GTP, so-called uh, GDP exchange factors. It's, it's protein is called from the Drosophila genetics source, source son of sevenless. Mm-hmm. And there are now is a new generation of SOS inhibitors that theoretically would inhibit all types of uh, RAS mutations. And we have other tumors like melanomas with NRAS mutations, the plentifold other types of uh, KRAS mutations, HRAS mutations in bladder cancer, for example. Um, so there is a lot of space for innovation to come. Wait, class is important, and uh, and it's amazing that that we're already talking about new generation RAS inhibitors, and and it's something that just literally happened probably in the last two three years, right? So amazing. Yeah, and in, in, in lung cancer, we have seen introduction of two in in on average of two new drugs reaching the clinics uh, every year. There's wow. now the RET inhibitors uh, coming in. They have been approved first by FDA, then by EMA. We have seen the KRAS, G12C inhibitors. We have seen the dual bispecific bi- antibodies, for example, amivantinib that targets EGFR and MET simultaneously. Hmm. We've seen uh, the combinations of immune chemotherapies a few years ago. We have seen uh, the dual BRAF mutation blockade coming in. And so forth. There's every year uh, there is a major step forward. 
hopefully there'll be one day where uh, it covers the entire landscape of mutations and and uh, lung pans- cancer patients can can uh, do uh, even better because uh, uh People like you uh, in the field would not stop till uh, till they conquer cancer completely. So uh, it's uh, we're we're honored as a pathology field to have somebody like you among us who's uh, who's dedicated his uh, life work to uh, to advances uh, in precision uh, therapeutics and precision pathology. Uh, well, that, that is something. Let me stress this. I mean, pathology. I started almost 40 years ago in pathology. So I'm pretty old now. <laughs> I'm over, <laughs> more or less. Um, and then it was practically anatomical pathology. You would look at slides. It would try to classify, to get relations between morphology and disease entities. That has completely changed during my lifetime. We now have very deep insights in the causes of cancers. For example, we see, as you mentioned, the the mutational signatures. Uh, we can say this tumor is probably caused by UV light. Um, we have uh, actually a few years ago studied uh, on a rare skin tumor, a pleomorphic dermal sarcoma, showing it's a heavily UV to reven um, hypermutated tumor of the skin. <clears throat> then you have the smoking signature, we have the microsatellite signature, we have the BRCA signatures, AHRD, and so forth. So that that gives us a very deep insight in the causes of cancer, I would say, plus all the oncogenic and tumor suppressor mutations. Plus, now we have a predictive markers. We are in the center. Pathology is in the center of deciding what type of treatment would be would a patient receive. So that makes pathology, I would say, super interesting. It is an investigative, um, yeah, um, discipline, and puts you into the center of oncology, actually. Very well said. It's uh, not only you're helping patients; uh, you're uh, you're you're doing uh, very important science as a pathologist, and and that's uh, why uh, I, I fully agree with you. I always say the golden era of pathology is yet to come, and now with all the tools uh, in genomics and immuno uh, therapeutics and how they impact our field, uh, it's making it even more and more exciting. We don't want to talk about AI and uh, and digital paths. That's yet another. Uh, computational pathology is uh, also coming in, definitely, uh, putting a new layer. I just can say when when I left medical school and was looking what to do in my life as an MD, every one of my my uh, friends and students around me went to subjects like endocrinology, neurology, genetics, because those were the drivers of innovation. Yeah? We could understand the action of hormones, regulation of growth, genetic insights. I can still remember around 2000 when we got the first human genome, um, huge European-American initiative worldwide. And now my feeling is that when I go to medical school, most of our students when they go to a, um, let's say, a lab discipline, they are highly interested in pathology because it's so investigative. It's so um, looking at the center of malignant tumors. 
um, that uh, it is intellectually rewarding, it is clinically rewarding, and uh, it gives you a chance to do something for the patient. And that, uh, I think, attracts the spirits of young people. I'm very happy about this. I'm super optimistic about our young pathologists. Wonderful. They, they will change the world. I won't, <laughs> but they. Well, uh, you've done uh, your part and more, but I'm pretty sure you still have uh, a long ways to go in contribution. Reinhard, this has been uh, really uh, inspirational and enjoyable. And uh, we, I'm pretty sure we're going to have you again uh, with one of, uh, I'm sure, soon uh, publications uh, that, that you'll, uh, you'll be sending our ways. I, again, thank you for all your contributions to uh, modern pathology. And uh, this uh, has been Uh, pleasure. Thank you, George, so much. And I would also specifically thank you and all the team for managing modern pathology. It's a central uh, journal. It's a, it's a super high standard journal. I think it's the most valuable journal in pathology. And uh, we've seen wonderful genomic studies, uh, molecular studies, uh, but also anatomical past studies. I really, really like and promote the journal. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of Modern Pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Netto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.